You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis. This Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. The fantastic tasting protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, but it's good for you. Built Bar. So on today's show, I promised I would come back around to the uh, the comparison I wanted to make with the Indians and the Browns. Uh, we'll talk about some baseball news. There was uh, another signing of note. I was trying to remember if we had talked about Mike Miner. We had not talked about contract details, and that in and of itself has been very interesting. Uh, we have some news in terms of uh, another guest who's coming up, so I'll tease that a little bit later in the show. And we'll also talk about uh, a bit of a surprising um, designation for exi- excite uh, for assignment that happened, and some very slate Indians news, um, as well as uh, some prospect news for other organizations. So let's start with Mike Miner. Uh, to me, absolutely fascinating how much money Mike Miner got. Uh, the starting pitching market has been, uh, you know, in, I feel like I'm stealing someone else. I, I feel like it was uh, my friend Justin Lana who called it robust, and that's the only term I could think of because that's a great way to put it. He got a two-year, $18 million guaranteed contract with a $13 million club option or a $1 million buyout for 2023. He was not good last year. Not, not even really remotely good. So to get a guaranteed $18 million over two years uh, with a chance to make 50K uh, for every 180 and 200 innings pitched in both seasons, like that's a lot of money for a guy who, if you were not paying attention across Texas and Oakland, uh, had a home run per nine of 1.7. The walks per nine stayed low. Uh, his strikeouts per nine were actually up from a year ago. But he just wasn't fooling anyone. I mean, he, people got after him very easily. The low innings count. It, it, it is interesting. Like, you look at the raw rate data, and it shows a guy who was not uh, too dissimilar from the previous year. But when you look at something like FIP, it's pretty obvious he was lucky in 2019. There was a degree of luck. And he was an all-star, and he finished eighth in the Cy Young. And then they traded him uh, for virtually nothing uh texas held on to him too long and uh dustin harris and marcus smith were the two players for him if uh you know those guys then you were either an oakland or texas fan marcus smith was a third rounder in 2019 a high school kid who has yet to get out of rookie ball though he's not i mean let's be honest in 2019 there was no 20 20 baseball he's an interesting kid let's put it that way um Kansas City, Missouri, good numbers in rookie ball for him. And then Dustin Harris was an 11th rounder, also in 2019, who was he another high school kid? Just Yep. And, mm, at 21, I mean, he could have been, uh, who did get up to low A and, again, had some production there. So you can see why Texas was interested. But uh, those weren't high-end prospects for Mike Miner. So $18 million when <laughs> teams are... Uh, not wanting to take 10 million for Brad Hand, who's coming off of 
almost uh, what three, four solid seasons in a row. I understand the outlying data wasn't great there, but it's not like the uh, the outlying data is great for Mike Miner either. So that was a bit of a surprise to see him get that much. And that is three starters. And what is the advantage here for the Indians? People are paying a lot for starters. The Indians have started up for days. If you listen to yesterday's podcast, I recommend if you haven't, go listen to it. It's an evergreen one where I talk with Adam Lieberman, who was the Akron Ducks uh, director of media and public relations for seven years. And before that was with the Atlanta Braves doing PR at the major league level. He, uh, you know, he talked about guys like Scott Moss and uh, very interesting to hear him because remember when the Indians trade for Moss, he originally went to double A before going to triple A. And uh, Adam was always great for information like this. We talked about that the Indians identified Moss as a player who there was an easy fix. They identified him, and this is what they've done before. They identif- they looked at him and go, oh, we know, we just know. Like, he is someone that we can get more out of than the Reds are getting, and it's we can do A, B, and C. And that's an interesting statement on a lot of levels, uh, just because Moss is, uh, you know, was kind of a... I don't want to say he's a forgotten player. They added him to the 40-man. There was obviously value there, but he was not someone who was talked amongst the big pieces in that deal. And then he did not get an opportunity this past year. Uh, I also talked about Eli Morgan and his possibilities as a starter. And again, you look at the Indians' top five starters, and then you could have Quantrell as someone to consider as a sixth. You're looking at guys like Morgan Moss, Jeffrey Rodriguez, Logan Allen. I mean, that's... So, like I said, if we take our top five and we say... Moss is your, or Quantrell is your six, Moss seven, Morgan eight. Again, this is not any exact lineup. I'm just doing numbers. Nine for Rodriguez, um, 10 for Logan Allen. It's that depth and just having all of that there gives them a very advantageous position. And it was interesting talking with Adam, uh, you know, many times through the years, uh, you know, who he was very high on. We both talked about Aaron Savali being someone we both missed on, that he is overperformed. It does make you wonder if Savali is the guy to trade. Um, you know, just an idea to, to come back around to. He did not uh, make the postseason starting rotation. He has, an, you know, unlike a McKenzie, they don't have as much control of him. And, uh, you know, he, he's been good, but I think some people expected a step up in his second year, kind of that Indians like next step forward. And it, it didn't happen. He stayed the same solid pitcher. And as we're seeing in the free agent market, uh, solid is, is good, uh, is very good. So just something to keep in mind as we discuss things. Uh, but yeah, the minor signing was very interesting. And then Trevor May got a first reliever off the market, first non-starting pitching. We've seen the market be almost entirely driven by pitchers. Trevor May got a deal with the Mets for two years, um, 15 million, I want to say, which again, it's pretty solid money for him going forward. He turned, what, 31 in September and, you know, a good for him moment. He's kind of bounced around. This past season in 2020 was the first time he was ever set to make more than, uh, to make, you know, seven figures. He's been in the bigs for obviously long enough to hit free agency and didn't debut till age 26. It took him a while. Got there with the Met or with the Twins has been good for them after being a fourth round pick of the Phillies way back in 2008. And he finally got paid. Um, he's finally going to make that $7 million contract. It's a two year deal. And in May is fascinating to me because you look at his strikeouts per nine um, since he's become just a full time reliever. 2017, 
He, I mean, he was a full-time reliever in 2016, but he was not a 2014, 15, 16. He couldn't nail down a position, missed all of 2017. Starting in 2018, 12.8 strikeouts per nine, 11.1, 14.7, walks per nine, 1.8, 3.6, 12.7, home runs per nine, 1.4, 1.1, 1. 1.79. Uh, his FIPS have always been strong. His fielding independent ERAs, which are you know good indicators. He's uh, he, like when I see the high home run rate with the high strikeout rate, I'm like, he's a little boomer bust. I don't know if that's fair, but you can take him deep. Like that's going to always be the concern with him is that he is uh, a bit long ball prone but i mean he misses a ton of bats and he's a he's a good signing for the the mets i mean that's a team that needed bullpen help we had talked about that pretty much if uh, cohen had bought the mets before brad hand had been waived there's no doubt in my mind they would have claimed him so they go out and they add uh, to they had May and you know Diaz has been disappointing, but he hasn't been you know like someone they're going to designate for assignment. This gives them just more arms back there. Uh, Batances opted in. You've got uh, Familia who they brought back. Seth Lugo wants to start, but just uh, hasn't had the ability to do that um, consistently enough. His stuff just pays up better in the pen. They've got the pieces to be a very interesting pen for the Mets. And should we take a moment here and have like our Francisco Lindor trade rumor talk brought to you by, um, we don't have a sponsor yet, but if you know someone who wants to sponsor the Lindor trade talk, uh, I was talking to someone who said that the Mets talk that, uh, that they only want to do free agency and not trades is, uh, is just that, that, uh, they're very much still in on Lindor, uh, and the Reds are in as well, but, the thing with the Reds and the thing that I will constantly bring up about the Reds is it's hard to find that fit. And I'll have more on the Reds in a second. But first, I wanted to talk to you about BuiltBar.com. I've been talking about Built Bar for months, and I can keep talking about Built Bar because this is a product I use daily. I had a strawberry one today from their recent bundle and flavor, and they have had a bunch of Cyber Monday and Black Friday deals, which also means new flavors, holiday-themed and the like. So you want to go over to BuiltBar.com right now check out the new flavors see what's there for you see what might fit see what you like this is a product that i can support and i can enjoy uh getting behind and telling you about because it's a product i use it's a product i support and use my own uh money on it is a great tasting bar the the mix box is always the way to go i will keep saying that but like i've told people i'm gluten-free it's a great gluten-free bar that is not so many of them are rock hard it's chewy and in a good way and it's tasty and when you get that mix box you're going to find the flavors you like and you're going to become a believer just like me so go to builtbar.com use that promo code locked on to get 20 percent off your order it's a fantastic deal it's a deal i wish i could still use builtbar.com promo code locked on hello everyone i wanted to give a quick heads up that we're having a great guest on friday's show Brian Sakawaski. I'm going to ask him how he says his last name, but if you should recognize that as one of the best draft coverage writers in the country over specifically at Perfect Game, uh, spends a lot of time on JUCOs. We're going to talk prospects. We're going to talk draft in Ohio, and it's a real great honor to have him on the show. In my opinion, uh, no one does draft better than Brian, so make sure to check out that show. Okay, the Reds. So the Reds have come back up as this trade candidate for Francisco Lindor. And I'm still hesitant because the Reds have pillaged their system. And before that, they did a poor job in developing players, which meant that a lot of high picks were not as valuable. They were just not. And leaves you in a situation where I look at the Reds right now, who their, high, their highest end prospect 
is either Hunter Green, who's coming off injury, or Tyler Stevenson, who is a good catcher, but I think he's more bat than defense, and the Indians are more defense than bat when it comes to catching. Uh, Jose Garcia is a name who comes up, and I, yes, he had some time in the majors this year, but he's not, I think the, I mean, the Indians have higher rated prospects in their system at the shortstop position, let's be honest. Nick Lodolo was a very high pick. Um, I think he'll be a good pitcher. I don't necessarily think he's going to be great, but I think he's solid. And Jonathan India from, I, I was a huge fan of his. He's not even listed as a top 100 prospect in a lot of places. And I mean, I do like the depths. I liked Lynn Richardson. I liked Tyler uh, Callahan. I liked uh, Mike Sayini. Uh, Why can't, that's not how you say his name. Uh, you know, <laughs> Big Brother was a, was a high pick as well. But yeah, this is a team that I'm curious to see what they're going to do. But I don't, like, who is the centerpiece? And again, it's not Nick Senzel. He's, his value is torpedoed. It's just not there. Uh, this year was another, it was very, very limited, and he wasn't able to stay healthy. But he's not been good in the majors. Uh, you now have 492 plate appearances, and his, you know, his offensive production's been low. And yeah, he hasn't had extended looks and this or that, but he has not lived up to the potential. And I was as big a fan of him as anyone. I had him rated as the number two player in that draft class. I thought it was an outstanding pick. And, you know, he was part of that time where the Reds' developmental system was poor, extremely poor. And I would hear stories about how poor it was. Uh, And it was almost more surprising when players were successful. And it is interesting to go back and look at his prospect ratings. And the thing is, this is from a 2019 report, like on fan graphs. So with the 70 hit and then 55s across the board, like if he was that player where he was like one of the top five prospects in baseball, you would um, be, you'd feel better about the profile. Um, But he has not shown that. And, you know, he's already going to be arbitration eligible now in 2022. And uh, he's played enough games. He'll be a free agent after 2025. His WRC plus this year was a 56 for his career. It's an 84. And we've seen so many players step right in and perform that this is a concern. And when you get past him, the the value in their young assets is not as high. Jess Winkler had a bit of a regression season as well. Uh, Eugenio Suarez, who I thought was probably their most valuable trade asset, had a major step back. They just across the board, it was it was disappointing offense. I mean, Jess Winkler is the guy. Like if you're talking a trade, he's probably the one you want to talk about. Um, the concern is like he's when I, <laughs> saying it as your step back is probably unfair, but uh, he's another one of those guys who's a uh, DH um, uh, playing outfield. The, the defense is just so poor that it really hurts his overall value. Got to love the walk rate. Got to love the hit rate. He's going to be an on-base machine uh, in terms of free agent in 2024, arbitration eligible in 2022. One of those guys where, you know, if you do make a trade for Lindor and get him, you're getting him for, what, three seasons? It, that's kind of the other problem with him is that he's down to three years of control. When you look at a lot of their trades, it's been about guys with like four to five years of control. And that kind of hurts Winkler's value. Um, but he is, I think he's passed Senzel for trade assets. Uh, crazy that the most games he's ever played is 113. He's been in the big leagues for four years and they just have not found a spot for him until this past year. But a really strong offensive production. That's where the Reds are really hard fit for me. 
I just uh, I don't see like I don't see the centerpiece. I don't see you know when we talk about the Mets and the players they have in place and how you can be like okay you know there's Dom Smith there's JD Davis they just don't have anyone on that level or even in the minor someone who's like close to being that type of guy uh, for the Indians and that's what makes the Reds just a a really hard fit and while it keeps coming up I said it a year ago it was a hard fit and I still feel that now and you know we'll see but uh not sold on the reds so i promised to talk about the the browns comparison <laughs> i'll do it very quickly here watching the browns game on sunday uh two things came to mind one you know i've always talked about the great progressive history of cleveland sports having the first female uh coach to coach a positional squad is just another feather in the cap of cleveland when it comes to its overall progressive with the progressive nature with you know the browns breaking the color barrier essentially in football and with uh, Larry Doby. And then just, you know, the only time the Indians were really good outside of the 20s was because they were so quick to integrate. And then on top of having the first uh, African-American player in the American League, the first African-American manager. And uh, it was nice to see some, you know, the Browns do something very progressive. And then two, I was just kind of still blown away by all the negative comments. It's like this city uh, loves nothing more than to hate success uh, at points. Browns are eight and three. Enjoy it. It's the same thing I felt. I just, it felt like such a mirror of the Indians for the last five years of people telling me why it's a, a crappy run or uh, it's why you shouldn't root for the Indians. It's like, no, they're having the most success they've had since the 90s, like by far. And in having one of the five best runs in the 100 year plus history of this franchise, if you want to go back to the Spiders in the 1800s who were a completely different team, yes. But if you go back, you can say like in 150 years, we have experienced one of the five best runs in this organization's history and people would crap on it. And that's where I had to laugh at people with an eight and three Browns, like picking a team apart so much. There's always question marks. And for a team like the Indians or the Browns, yes, like these are not teams that are necessarily the steamrollers uh, of their respective sports, but man, just enjoy success. Why is that such a hard thing for, for Cleveland? Um, I mean, I've spent most of my life being born in the early 80s uh, experienced nothing but heartbreak and failure just take a moment enjoy the fact that teams play well and that you're having this fantastic run with a baseball team again one of the five best in the 150 year franchise history of the city in baseball and a football team that won eight games I mean when was the last time they won eight games was it back when Derek Anderson was quarterback I mean that's that's where my mind is going it has been a long time so uh if you're a fan, just enjoy these things. Enjoy. These are rare moments is, is what I'm trying to get at. So A, great to see more progressive history with the sports and B, just enjoy a, a fun season and some wins. We should talk uh, a few more things. Eddie Rosario, uh, let go by the twins. We had talked about him multiple times on the podcast and how that could happen. I'll be curious to see if anyone claims him at you know 9.6 is what the arbitration estimate is set to be we're gonna have a whole bunch of uh of information tomorrow after i record the podcast so thursday's podcast will be remember all about those players designated for simon rosario was a bit early it gives teams some time to decide the bat's been really strong like that's one of those things he has a a really good bat he does not strike out much for the the power that he has shown uh doesn't walk much either that's that's kind of the problem he has some good uh you look at the the baseball savant 
K percentage, 89th percentile, whiff percentile, 69th percentile, expected slugging, 57. Now his other stuff is all blue or dark blue, terrible defender. Um, you go back to 2019, exit velocity was at 50, barrel percentage was at 56. Those are down in 2020 to 36 and 28. So his his barreling and his exit velocity were way down, uh, which when you go back to 2018 is more what we've seen. So uh, I'd have to really dig into the numbers to see. And then it's interesting, 2017, they go up. So he might be that always interesting every other year guy. So he could actually be in for a very strong year next year for whatever team claims him. And for as much as people tell me that's not a thing, it's <laughs> I know it shouldn't be, but it just seems to pop up. There seems to be guys who every other year perform well above average. And uh, Rosario's numbers in terms of baseball savant seem to show that. Again, it's not really a thing, but it is also interesting to go back to 2017 and see like 63rd percentile on sprint speed and then outfielder jump. And then you come up to 2020, 51 and 33 or 2019, 56 and 13. Yikes. Like uh, he's a DH. And I talked about that earlier, but an interesting name caused a lot of discussion with him being uh designated for assignment even though he's been highly productive through his career and is owed you know under 10 million uh the other thing is we have talked about the indians is cam hill was in a car accident that i mean he looked racked in the picture he sent i don't know exactly what happened other than his wrist injury was so bad from that car accident that it required surgery and he was you know he, he uh that arm was wrapped up uh, and there's you know images of it that he he put out himself um, everyone thinks he'll be ready by next season, but still not ideal. And for Hill, who's one of those guys who's probably an up and down arm for the Indians, um, you know, just a, a thing that sets him back a little bit because it's going to be a little longer before he can get started. But he's a, a depth guy, uh, a good depth guy, but I think he's one of those guys you kind of, again, back in the day, you know, the taxi squad, the up and down types. That's Cam Hill. Nick Bitsko, who has a very high on uh, top prospect of the Rays, uh, needs Tommy John, or uh, not Tommy John, it's labrum surgery, which is much scarier. Uh, he is going to miss the year. That's a big loss for their minor league system, but one that they can afford to take for certain. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of our news for the day. Nothing else has broke as I'm sitting here. Nothing else that I really need to uh, bring up. And, you know, I am... Uh, very curious to see what the Indians do because there is a good chance that as we talked about on the show after tomorrow that they are going to clear $8 million in salary if Hedges, Naquin, and uh, DeShields go. I think that is the order of uh, likelihood. Hedges, Naquin, then DeShields. I think DeShields is very unlikely. I think the organization is happy with him uh, and I think Tito is happy with him. So I think uh, DeShields is likely to say but I could see Hedges and Naquin both uh, be designated for assignment. And again, when you see that tomorrow, I'll talk about it a bit more. But if Hedges is let go, then that lets us know that he was a salary offset to a degree in the in the deal for Clevenger. And yeah, the Indians did need catching help at the time. But the fact that even once they got him, he didn't get to play and they stuck with, uh, with Sandy back there made me think more and more that he might have been more salary. Um, yeah, more of the salary uh, option not offshoot offset uh than someone they were super into now i mean i'm sure they like to get a look because of his defense but uh the bat could be extremely limiting uh so we will see uh i hope you enjoyed the show today uh as always i have been jeff ellis this has been the lockdown indians podcast and go tribe